Hi, Brian. My man. Welcome, everybody, to episode two of Homebrew Catastrophe. Oh, yeah, we're doing this one. <laughs> <laughs> I am a consummate professional. That's okay. That's why it was very important to me to put in the names of the podcast that we were recording in the calendar. I did, too. I did, too. I really did. Ten minutes before this recording, I had to go into the calendar and see, uh, what are we talking about today? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I had to check. But uh, what are we talking about today, Brian? Talking about the single greatest scene of any animation, like any animated show ever. It's about 32 seconds long. <laughs> so I want to dive right into it. So we're going to, we're talking about Critical Role animated series. The Legend of Vox Machina. The Legend of Vox Machina. I, I want to ask you just directly right from the beginning. Did The hype was probably two years long mm-hmm. from when they did that. It was a whole lead up. They, they started the Kickstarter. It became one of the most successful Kickstarters in history. I think the singular most successful Kickstarter. That's what I heard. As far as, I mean, it broke other records, not even Kickstarter related as far as money raised. Mm-hmm just in the categories that they were going for mm-hmm. having things going so well on that and hitting the last stretch goal, which I think was a mile marker in itself to have Ashley run a one shot, which is a momentous occasion in itself. And I can't remember much about that one shot, but I do remember, I think it, I think it went well. Yeah. It was the, the alien, like the sci-fi alien one shot. Oh yeah. That was yeah, good. The Nautilus arc. Yeah. Oh bro. That was like fan freaking fantastic. Oh, yeah. That was that was nice. I liked that. And then the hype just went all over again when after this super successful Kickstarter, Amazon Prime picks them up and commits two seasons that they're gonna get. And then uh, and now it's here. Now it's here. I think two years two years later. I don't know how long it's been. Did it live up to the hype? Yes. All right. Yes. It's uh, hard. I mean, I mean that's. I mean, people yes. were talking about it a lot. I think. Yeah. Like I texted you guys uh on the on the discord chat like i think the day after that i i I watched the three episodes that they had released the first week it was like emotional and that's i mean Mm -hmm. maybe that's maybe some people will make fun of me for that but like just recently i've been thinking about like critical role and like really examining whether or not it's worthwhile to like keep watching it yeah. So I was examining like why I got so into it in the first place. And a lot of it had to do with the players for I mean for whatever reason I project my own myself, my wife and our marriage onto Travis and Laura from the show. <laughs> okay. Um, I think I remember you mentioning that once or yeah. once. I don't really know why, but they just kind of it's probably a projection thing a freudian like external relationship thing a parasocial some parasocial relationship yeah that like they just seem to have a very similar energy to me and my wife yeah and then also like every single one of them is just hilarious like i would love to just hang out with them and just joke and like see if we yeah. could get each other to laugh so that was a big part of why i got into critical role but like honestly the main thing was the characters that they were playing especially grog uh yep. just i don't know man i just love i loved all of the characters 
I like stories where the misfits come together. And it's kind of a trope. It's like it's it's kind of rote at this point. But I, I just I don't know, man. I just dig it for some reason. I mean, you know what I, mean? I mean, it's a re- it's there's a reason that it's a trope. I mean, it, yeah. there's a satisfaction yeah. in the fact that there's just like everything about the chaos that they exude in the beginning of that like they sh- they should die in the next 5 minutes uh-huh. and and they they figure it out yeah. and at least for me like you know i look at like i look at my, my like chaotic unorganized like stuff or like the things that i've that i have in my life and uh i think matt i just watched another interview that matt had with um i can't remember that or todd kendrick yeah 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 I yeah. think they just uploaded another one today and Todd was just asking wow. him like there's just this obvious and permanent legacy that that now you guys have put onto mm-hmm. this game. Yeah. That's never going to be forgotten. Yeah. Like how does that feel like and he was just like that kind of the uh, I can't remember what it's called like the the false um imposter syndrome. Like the imposter sy- syndrome. Mm-hmm. And like I look at the stuff around in my life and I feel imposter syndrome and and so there's just a satisfaction to see like the embodiment of somebody else that doesn't look like they should succeed, but they do. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I take away from it. Yeah. Um, that's why I, I like it. I'm like, well, it, yeah, like I said, just satisfaction. Yeah. You know, while you were talking, um, like, it just came to me why why that this trope is so successful. It's a pattern of real life, and it's specifically the pattern of the zone of proximal development which is like where the term the zone comes from like when an athlete's in the zone okay yeah it's the zone of proximal development when you're dancing on the border between chaos and order so like like the chaos of the group of misfits comes together it at first glance it seems as though none of their traits will marry or synchronize yeah. And so that's chaos, but then the order has to come for them to survive. Like that's that's the order part of it. Like yeah. either like we live or like the chaos consumes everything and we die. So like the yeah. order is like staying alive, but you have this chaos component of like everything's just kind of like mishmashing together. And that's that is like like a foundation of reality in the human experience it's like that is like an ancient like primordial human experience like tens of thousands of years old like the cavemen coming out of the caves that was like their zone of proximal development like inside the cave is order and life and like survival outside of the cave is chaos but potential yeah. Right. It potential to learn and grow. So that was like the zone of proximal development. Tens of thousands of years later, we're here um, in kind of our own, you and I, in a zone of proximal development for ourselves, putting a podcast or two out there. Yeah. Well, and I think each of us, like, you got a family. Uh, mm-hmm. You have you have education and and after education stuff, uh, work type stuff that mm-hmm. that you've expressed on the other show, like is not comfortable yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. as far as that experience that you've been going through. There's like on my end, 
some of the business stuff that I've just like both of us are experiencing individual and then some of this stuff that we're doing together. A lot of these experiences were, yeah, da- like dangerous and different, but uh, potential. Right, right. It's satisfying. And then I think to dive into it just a little bit like further, you know, I, I fall into it and have fallen into it sometimes. And I see people that fall into it and then really just think that that's what it is where they find the order and they find the safety and they don't, they don't ever step out of that. Um, they find that work, whatever it is, whether it's whatever level it is, whether it's a, it's a job at a fast food restaurant, a job at a factory or a job at a government site, you know, a doctor or something like that. They find whatever is like orderly for them and they never try to do anything different. Mm-hmm. Because everything is set up and sustaining them right in that right in that moment. Yep, yep. And, but but they get, I still see them, and I, and and I can speak to my own experience. Even when I was in those positions, like I very much enjoyed watching content that had this trope, yes. because I don't know, I could I could like pseudo, like proxy kind of experience this. Yeah, well, of course you can. Your brain is literally wired to remember like genetically remember or like spiritually remember your ancestors like doing that or like or even in your own life like when you were a baby uh learning how to crawl or walk or something that that was all living in a zone of proximal development and like dancing on that that line between order and chaos like the order for a baby is to sit there that's safe to just lay out on the floor but like crawling all of a sudden like your body is suspended your body you're suspending your own body up in the air and like you could fall and smack your face that's chaos it's a little bit smaller scale but like it's still it's still that same concept of like pushing like main like holding on to order but also like pushing it into chaos does that make sense it does and i think i hate I hate myself that I'm going to keep going into this further because um, <laughs> we're literally talking about an animated uh, TV show. But yeah. I think like it's significant, like the baby in a way it's easier for the baby because the baby doesn't have all those social constructs and yeah. all of those fears that we start to gain that makes us not step out mm-hmm. and do that uncomfortable thing. There's no the baby doesn't the this newborn child doesn't have any reason to not try and do these things mm-hmm. now. I know this is this is our nerd podcast. We don't want to keep talking about like philosophy and like self improvement here. But like, imagine if you could get back to that space mentally, of like completely f- free of the expectation of social constructs. Like, how freaking cool and freeing would that be to be back in that in that headspace? Yeah. Well, I mean, Pretty I think cool, it would man. put you in a. And I think it would put you in somewhat of a, for some people, you might find yourselves uh, someone like the position critical role is in. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, yeah. Think about that. Oh, and uh, Travis is uh, that. Uh, what was that show Brian did? It was Talks like the, no, no, no. <laughs> the, Come uh, on, Brian. <laughs> no, the other one. It was just a one-on-one interview with Brian and... Between the sheets. Oh, the drink. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which, were they? Um, which was a very smart name, but it did cause me to like hold off on watching those episodes yeah. for a while. <laughs> right. But yeah. but if anybody has held off on watching those, go immediately and yes. and start consuming those. They are amazing. Fantastic. 
long form interviews one on one. I yeah. still I think Brian W. Foster is still one of the best interviewers I have ever seen. Yeah. So quick on his feet, so insightful. Yeah. Just amazing. That man that man has integrated his shadow in a major way. And you can see people who have integrated their shadows, they have a quality to them. Yep. Uh, and Brian Foster has integrated his shadow. Amazing man. Hilarious man. Go check him out on Twitch. He's on Twitch. He streams like almost every day. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's a funny he's a funny guy. I don't watch him enough to understand why he does that green. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. Either, I don't. But... I don't know. But it's almost like it almost just helps. Like everything he says is just funny because he's saying yeah. it with his eyes like through this green yeah. build hat. <laughs> yeah, so. it's like the like the poker uh, visor, like like that translucent yeah. green plastic yeah. like poker visor. He just wears that on stream, and I don't know why. So you said, as far as like, is it worth it to watch Critical Role? And I, I just did an updated number, and I think we may have already talked about this on one of the other episodes. Um, if we include Tox Machina, because I definitely think it should be included, you absolutely should watch that. All of Critical Role's content is easily above a thousand hours now. Oh yeah, like I'm just <laughs> I'm a little bit surprised that it's not closer to two thousand hours. It's it is nine hundred. It's around nine ten to nine thirty, nine hundred and ten to nine hundred and thirty. Just, just a critical role episode. Not, okay. not any Tox Machina. Not any one shots. Yeah. Any of this, any of this other stuff that uh, that they did. And so, like, if we, like, the between the sheets, they were they were kind of longer form. They were an hour and a half. They were two. They were two mm-hmm. hours. And um, all the Tox Machina episodes, they were at least an hour. Yeah. I mean, easily a thousand. Uh, maybe you're on the the twelve hundred um, to thirteen hundred range. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy. That is That's a lot. Um, That's if a we did 12 1200 hours is about 2 months. <laughs> wow. So if you just listened if you sat in a box in a padded room and just listened to Critical Role nonstop, no sleeping, nothing. 2 yeah. months. That's plenty of time to go insane. It's crazy to be in that position for like people easily actors easily in their career, they will have a they can have a very successful career and not like and somebody can still like in a in a week you know they can watch everything that that actor has done mm-hmm. and has and that actor oh, will man. have had a successful career. Yeah, it's like I can't. I mean, I know for a fact just because of how they've spoken over the last couple of years, like. They none of them suspected that they were gonna all of a sudden find themselves a couple of years later with two months worth worth of well received content. Yeah. In the world. And that's just that's just this enterprise. That's just critical role associated work. That's yeah. completely discounting all of the voice work that they've that all of them have done exactly like individually and before, they all have during great throughout. voice actor careers yeah yeah like Liam O'Brien is incredibly prolific and Matt Mercer as well Liam and Matt I think are in darn near everything <laughs> um, it's cr- it's crazy when i'm just you know i i watch a lot of video a lot of video game YouTube type content. Yeah. And it like, I don't know if I was just ignoring it beforehand, but like the name, like Laura Bailey, 
Yeah. Like her name just like comes up mm-hmm. all the time now. Mm-hmm. Or or um or Travis Willingham or you know when they're talking about voice actors. Mm-hmm. Just for these games. Yeah. And I don't like it's yeah. crazy to me when I where I hear their names come up. Yeah, yeah. Like so disregarding critical role voice actors are like in the they're like the top in the top echelons of this completely separate industry like this completely separate field they're like elder statesmen like <laughs> uh, they're like they're very respected very successful and prolific like uh, actors they own a company an entertainment company that ran one of if not the most successful kickstarter in history what a strange circumstance like what a what a weird series of events that is the kind of like growth and achievement and success and like creativity and just human spirit that's possible when you get to that that spot that the baby is in when he's learning how to walk. Yeah, because some people can, you know, I've heard a lot of excuses like, uh, you know, one argument is like, oh, they took a big risk by putting themselves online publicly playing D&D because, you know, it wasn't that popular. People in their professional works uh, industries may look at that and that might change how they could get, you know, work and stuff. And then the other, you know, the other side is like, well, voice acting isn't nearly as hard as like uh, as far as getting work as as you know on camera stuff and yeah. so it's much easier to to be whoever you're going to be if you're a voice actor because it's not going to mess you up but like you can have these arguments all day but mm-hmm. at a certain level like they had to start making massive sacrifices yeah com- to co- to continue to commit to this critical role thing yeah because like you could see in the beginning like sam like sam was late to <laughs> many sessions of critical role because he was coming home from work. Yeah. Yeah. And trying to like make it there. And then like one by one, like all of them are leaving. Like they're still doing their voice actor stuff, but like they're, they're leaving their full time commitments to whatever these various things are. And they're just committing fully into this, um, into this thing, you know, flights that, you know, gigs that they couldn't do literally because like they couldn't, that would mean that they couldn't be back by Thursday. Mm-hmm. where they wouldn't be available on, on Thursday. And then just like slowly, like the full commitment to the show, like no matter what position you're in, like that's a scary, that's a scary thing. And like, for me, I would still be terrified. Like I'm going to, I'm about to fully commit myself to dungeons and dragons. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's trippy. Mm-hmm. So, okay. back Okay. Back to the show. Let's uh, cut back to the TV series. Cut back all of the, like, man, we were like, we were on some tangents there, man. Yeah, it's just super. It's super impressive, and it's and it's fun to see. So, um, very proud of it. I'm, I'm just very happy for them mm-hmm. that they that they just get to look back a thousand hours, and that's about to just get added on more and more by this TV series. Uh, the first three episodes of the Legend of Vox Machina released two days ago, January twenty eighth. So it was four days ago now. Four days ago, at the time of recording. Yeah. Yep, four days ago at the time of recording. So, what what content is the Legend of Vox Machina covering, as far as Critical Role lore and history? Thus far, it covered the year, two years of pre-stream adventure. 
So the the group of friends, they got together for Liam's birthday, I think, mm-hmm. and they played a game uh, of D anD D, and <laughs> they all have their own like sitcom esque version of the story where like well i wasn't gonna go and then i went or like i wasn't even invited but i just showed up and then we just started rolling dice and playing whatever so they all just like all the planets aligned they all met at one of their house and they played D &D, and enough of them liked it that they wanted to go back and so they just kind of kept going and going and uh, and they sporadically met over the over the space of like almost two years or something and then the great felicia yeah, it was like day, that it was like a single session a month or something yeah that they would that but they like would sporadically i i think one of them mentioned that they would go like weeks or like months without playing at all but just like talking about it yeah and then the great felicia day found them right and she was like yeah hey i've got this streaming thing i'm doing come you can have i'll give you like four hours of airtime and we'll just see what happens and then you know it it goes up like a house on fire it's crazy to look at their subscriber count no oh, yeah. the first uh yeah. the first like 20 episodes and then, <laughs> well just continuing on it's like they're doing like a contest or they're gonna do a giveaway every 100 subscribers and then every 500 and then every thousand and then every ten thousand, and then they just stop doing it. like they yeah. stop doing it because it like, yeah, it was it so explosive. it can't be sustained anymore yeah and they start doing the gift uh the gift opening things and then they it was no longer like we can't do this after stream like after each session anymore we have to like dedicate like mm-hmm. a stream to do it mm-hmm. uh, because it's 1 a.m or 2 a.m by the time we're getting done with <laughs> these openings mm-hmm. and then like they have to stop doing that because it's like getting and just the yeah it was it was just nuts yeah. i mean i i would have loved to it, it, it just would have been entertaining uh, to be there when it was live. Yeah. But just going back and watching the recordings of those first episodes. Actually, I, I won't lie. I probably wouldn't have stayed with it because the <laughs> audio of those first 20 episodes were pretty garbage. Yeah. It was kind of rough to listen to. Yeah. It was a it was a hard time. It sounds yeah. sounded a little bit like us before we probably. before I figured out how to how to make our voices not peak and distort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, the show, the yes. uh, Legend of Vox Machina, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we promise. Whether you believe us or not, oh, but that's what we're talking yes. about. It so far has covered that two-ish year period uh, pre-stream. And then the third episode skipped like the first story arc of the stream Yeah, where, where they went to the... Craghammer, the the Dwarven City. They yeah, had, <clears throat> they had a little adventure in this Dwarven City. I think those first 20, 20 to twenty five episodes or something right. they skipped. Right. Yeah. Which they're gonna have to. I mean, that's that's gonna be the the nature of it. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, for sure. There's there's no way they can they can get everything they did from the the game into the show. There's just yeah. no way. I feel like it's a a continual like condensing because you have the you have the actual shows and then you have like Danny's then you have like the written recaps and then mm-hmm. you have Danny's recaps yeah animated recaps which are more condensed and then you have this which is I don't even know condensed there's just like clipped it's a cure it's a it's a clipped curated yeah yeah, yeah. Experience. curated is a good word 
Cause yeah, cause it is it does flow quite naturally. They, you know, it it shows how they got their their keep in Iman, the the city. Yeah, and so stuff. that was actually so. I only had one critique of the show, and it was actually that. Not when they got the keep, that was fine, but when the king of Iman, I think that's what the position is called. Sovereign uh, accepts. Yeah, yeah. He's an emperor, I think, but they call him sovereign. Okay. Sovereign, um, when uh, when Uriel accepts them for the for the task, because mm-hmm. I think in the I think in the actual show, like they were already in the actual show, they were already an established group. I think like to the people because they had just done this crack hammer thing and they had come back, and I can't remember if it was just that like simple because in the in the Legend of Vox Machina, Sovereign Uriel is just like oh, I I like the bear, like let's give him a chance, and mm-hmm. that was a little bit jarring. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the show was perfect. The rest of this, the episodes uh, were perfect. That was the only time that I, it was just kind of a jarring experience. The, the Sovereign just like said yes to one of, I'm sure, many, many people that had come into the castle to, you know, to offer up their services. Hmm. So that was my personal experience of it. Um, where in the moment I had that thought. Uh, the rest of it, I was totally, I was totally consumed. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Consumed. Consumed was a good word. So it's it is not a regular animated TV show because a lot of these animated TV shows are on like more than not it's it is um, meant for like kids mm. a lot a lot of um, shows done in this kind of uh, style mm-hmm. uh, this is not meant for children well there's so there is a fair bit of like adult animation. And you can, I think you can browse that genre on Hulu. Yeah. There's a full like menu of just adult animation shows. Like as far as like, I'm like, this is on Amazon prime. Like this is, this is like full, like mainstream content Mm -hmm. now. And I feel like, yeah, at that level, there's not nearly as much of like, that's that all of that adult content is a little bit more kind of on the outer reaches of the internet. Mm hmm. Yeah, this would be definitely this would definitely be something like l- very late on Adult Swim. Yes, like like this is like this is there's more a, aggressive. There's like Adult Swim, and then there's like Adult Swim After Dark, and <laughs> yes. this would be like the, the last. Yeah, this would be like the last show of Adult Swim, the last hour yes. of Adult Swim After Dark. It uh, uh, the animation is great. It's smooth, um, but. Uh, yeah, they, they made a conscious choice and they talk about it that they didn't want to take away from they made a choice when they started streaming that they didn't want to take away from their kind of how they've been playing the game, mm-hmm. um, which was crude. You know, it was a crude style and, and that was just their personalities. Mm-hmm. And then they made another choice to let that translate pretty much directly. Yeah. <laughs> no, no stop. No obstacle. Just just yeah. right into the show. Yeah, what uh what was your like what in your when you were watching it, what was the most like aggressive like overstep of like traditional boundaries in that in that arena? So I actually so there's a, there is actually a couple different categories of things. So right in the beginning and this may surprise you, but I actually notice it because I have like sometimes I'll actually react to it. But when, oh crap, what's Marisha's character's name? Keyleth. When Keyleth throws up in mm-hmm. the bar. Yeah. 
I was like, okay, that just stood out to me because you do not like, it's a very specific thing, but that they, a lot of times they do not choose to actually show the, the animation of the puke. Yeah. 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 It's a very small specific thing, but I've actually like over the years, I've noticed that, that only in a couple of shows have I actually seen them take it that far. Yeah. But you know, they, they, they're leaning into like the crude aspect of the, uh-huh. of the game. Uh-huh. I'd already seen the trailer where they just straight off cut the, cut the arm off the, off the guy in the bar. <laughs> yeah. The, the swearing and obviously like in TV, like there's different levels of like swear words. Uh-huh. And so their use of swear words were, was at the top. Oh uh, yeah. Like way above. Right. Yes. Yeah. And then Scanlan, when he was, when he had uh, bedded the, uh, the, the barman, the, the bartender's daughter. Yeah. And they actually showed, uh, animated nudity yeah so, so those were kind of like the three categories like throughout the first three episodes mm-hmm. where it was just like ah like i can see the choice they've made mm-hmm. in in mm-hmm. these different areas so the other thing that i well i guess i'll ask you the question like were there similar ones for you or did you have different ones that kind of yeah. stood out as you were watching yeah so scanlan was just always a lot uh in that realm of just like yes hypersexual yeah all of the time 110 percent of the time and in the third episode they're at the banquet with all of the dignitaries and yep. they they need scanlan to like keep the whole banquet oh. like preoccupied <laughs> yes. so they can go investigate something i'm super proud of myself for describing that in that way because that was like completely <laughs> spoiler free good job me Yes, good job, you. So in the game, like in the the show, like the Critical Role, the, the full episode, the full the original show version. of the game, right? Scanlan did like maybe he like had one performance check and like described what he did or like described the song he sang. Yeah, that was it. Because like the rest of the the rest of that episode was devoted to the rest of the party investigating whatever they were doing. Yeah. In the <laughs> in the Legend of Vox Machina show the song that Scanlan sang and his outfit was Oh yeah, yes. He has this rainbow colored codpiece that like glowed that like shone like rainbow <laughs> colors. And he was just like hip thrusting on tables and like being very provocative. And I, I won't say like any of the lyrics from the song, but it was just like it was more than I had ever experienced of Scanlan. Like it was, <laughs> yeah, it was like like Scanlan's normal, like Scanlan's average like ceiling of grossness and like. I'm trying to think of the right word. Like his, his normal ceiling of gratuitous hypersexuality. This yeah. was at least two notches above that. And it was like, it was funny. I laughed a lot. Oh, yeah. But it was a lot. It was a lot. It was. There was a, yeah. So much Scanlan in that yes. song. Well, I think, I mean, I think at least part of it is to do with he had the freedom to now have a full song. Yeah. You know, like when he's, 
he was doing bardic inspirations, you know, throughout the throughout the um, actual Vox Machina the campaign campaign. Yeah. Um, but those were just you know ten second at its lo- you know at the mm-hmm. longest. Mm-hmm. Um, just little or the beginnings of songs and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or he would he would start the beginning of a song and then he would let it trail off because you're playing. It's just a different medium. Like you're playing a game, and what he's doing was actually already more than what most mm-hmm. players in his position are ever doing. Right. It was just because he's a musician himself mm-hmm. that he was just having that bonus. Right. And so when he when he had the freedom to do an entire song. Yeah, with was, like was, production value and like yeah. maybe a team of collaborators to like help write the music and lyrics and stuff. Like holy cow. <laughs> it was so much. Yeah, I mean it was, and it was good, and they com- you know, they just committed. Yeah, they committed hard. And yeah. they did not, you know, they didn't sit in some like lukewarm medium. Uh-uh. Like it was either going to be all or nothing, and they right. they went for the the. They all. went all, yeah. They went for all of the all, all of the all. Yeah, so that was kind of it for me. I mean the uh, the boobies in the beginning were like startling. And then, like, uh, it's a Scanlan scene, so, like, I can't be that surprised. That wasn't, like, a, a huge deal for me. Definitely not not something that I was expecting or really wanted to have happen. But, uh, like, I don't know. The violence violence doesn't, like, bother me. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not a good thing, but... <laughs> well, I think, I think you and I are kind of on the same page where, like, the violence... You yeah, know, we think yeah. about like a like a, like an R-rated movie or, or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you and I are on the same page where if it's R if it's R-rated because it's violent, that is much different for us than if yes. it's R-rated for something um, sexually rated, uh, sexual. Right. And so, yeah, it was it was surprising. Yeah, it was just a moment of like, I for me it was like the top check. I was like, okay, they have committed it, this hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to this. Yeah. We're gonna. It's gonna be an ongoing discussion. I think uh, as they um, come, you know, maybe partway through in the middle of some other episode topics, uh, we might kind of discuss um, updates on the show. Uh, certainly at the season end, um, we'll we'll spend a little bit of time just kind of chatting about the uh, kind of the experience and the feasibility of the show. Can you know continuing on in a successful manner? Because this is it's popular to the point that it can just you know it might just keep going and keep being successful on that and they're certainly not short of content to do right. seasons out of mm-hmm. but yeah so so we'll we'll kind of keep chatting about it on the show as the weeks mm-hmm. go on before we go though i don't think i asked you what your favorite part oh yes and i watched. do want to ask you because yeah um so my oh man my my favorite part the scene where they came back to the burned village Mm-hmm. and uh, like it's it's for the it's like kind of the same topic but two different scenes like both the scene where they had the kid and the kid was like dying and but she couldn't save him mm-hmm. and i think like D wise like she was out of spell slots and so they have to kind of explain it in a different way in the tv show mm-hmm. and that's actually like something like in a different episode i do want to talk about it a little bit more the ways that they are trying to explain D mechanics in the tv show mm-hmm. because there are parts where i i'm interested in what it is like for somebody that does not play D. yeah yeah that'll just be kind of a developing thing but when he died 
and they had that whole moment of we're not going to fight the dragon and then the kid dies and then they're like okay yeah we're we're going to go kill this thing mm-hmm. um and then at the end of killing the dragon vax has the coin from the kid that he had given to the kid and then basically like pseudo broken like several of you know him and ashley's character had kind of broken their promises Mm -hmm. because the family died yeah and so he's in the dragon's lair and he says the thing to the coin and tosses the coin into the dragon's lair of the the slain dragon before they go back into the portal those Mm -hmm. are just super sick moments yeah yeah i i agree in fact when i watched those two scenes i had thought okay here's here's liam really just going ham into his yeah his like theater acting like just full bore into like the hard dramatic acting yep which is what i loved about vax and how liam just went like full like depressed emo mode on vax so hard uh it was it's fantastic but yeah, fantastic character development. What uh, What about you? What uh, What is your? Well, I already know what your you favorite scene know. is, but why don't you sh- Why don't you share with the audience? Okay, so Grog, my favorite character, maybe ever, at least in critical role. Caduceus is up there. Yeah, Grog, I love Grog, and so Grog's catchphrase in the the show of the game. We got to delineate those somehow. <laughs> or Vox Machina. Those. How about we say how about we say Vox Machina? Um or the or campaign. The D D campaign. Okay, the campaign. So Grog's catchphrase in the campaign was I would like to rage. And the, so he was he's a barbarian. Raging is like the mechanic that barbarians use in battle to like to do more damage and mitigate damage they take. And they're always trying to, like, it's it's a staple that they are doing it when the battle begins, Yeah, you know, every time. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, it's the barbarian's core mechanic. It's what, it's what makes them different from other, uh, other, like, physical martial classes. Yeah. And so, the first time they fight the dragon, he doesn't say it. Because mm-hmm. um, it was, the, the phrase was more travis's phrase because because of the way D is run it, when it's it becomes your turn you say what you would like to do yeah the player so has to tell state the dm with the, you know i want to move up an attack so part of grog's turn was travis telling matt i would like to rage and them being the professional actors they are they stayed in character most of the time and so most of the time he said it he was using grog's voice yeah but but a it lot was of the times, kind like, of realistically understood that yeah. it wasn't really grog saying that like maybe sometimes maybe sometimes it was him saying it but generally grog doesn't say that right it's like the visualization, like him saying it and all the players when they're like yelling, like, oh, yeah, like they're visualizing him just like roaring or or something or um, yeah. he's not he's not sitting there like tapping Vax on the shoulder saying, hey, I'm about to I'm about to rage. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So so that's kind of the player 
the split that is yeah. going to show up a little bit differently it's, in the show. Yeah. It was this weird, like, it was this weird bridge between the player and the character. The this this phrase was like, it was really cool, and it really it always got me pumped up for battle, uh, in the campaign. So he did not say it the first time they fought the dragon, but then when when the when they were all coming together and the misfits are like like synchronizing and you know doing really good and they're kicking butt it like goes through all of the the characters and they each do their thing and they're like really cool and really successful and they like pull off their cool move and their signature thing and Vax throws his three daggers and they all blink back to him you know Pike says something really cool to Vex and like the music is swelling like I'm like oh yeah and I'm like getting all hyped up as a side note me personally I had just come off of like a killer workout at the gym oh, the night before okay, so and like slept amazing got up and had like a really really good day just like really high energy lots of testosterone just like pumped up so the you the universe was with you yes it was like yes a, a moment of like total alignment of all of my chakras and then like it's going through and it's like showing all the characters doing their thing and then vex laura's character travis's wife says well what are you gonna do big guy or something and then he <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna I'm not even going to attempt to imitate it because, like, I can't. But he says his phrase, I would like to rage. But he, like, goes all the way ham on it and, like, just screams it in, like, the most animalistic, like, raw voice. Oh. And I texted, I texted my DD group uh, after that, and I was like, I can't remember what I said. Grog just said the thing, and simultaneously got all the way pumped up and teary-eyed at the same time yep. because it just it was like all of the emotion was just like right there, just like boiling to the surface, and then the show and the performance. And the character just kind of like pushed me up, like it lifted me up. And like, like a, the word I think of is like it was like a perfect crescendo. Like everything yeah. was like the, yes. the animation style is really lending itself to like right. just showing how freaking just over the top. Right, right. And it was like we were mentioning before. It was like that that reflection of life where everything is like right on the border between chaos and order, and they're like. They got their butts kicked by this dragon before, but now they're like in sync. And like I said, the music and all of the dialogue and and the animation. And I was like personally in a really good high energy spot. And it was just it like it did. It like lifted me up to like a higher level of like of just energy and like existence in the universe. Oh, man, it was it was an experience, to say the least. It was like a semi-mystical, almost spiritual experience when when Travis just screamed 
or when Grog was just screaming at the dragon. Ugh. And he just like hunches over and like the I love in anime when like the characters get so mad that their pupils just disappear so their their eyes are oh, just like yeah. white. And they did that when when Grog like was screaming this rage. Like, uh, it was just yeah, a moment of like the stars were aligning with everything and it was just like this uh, it was just an amazing an amazing amazing experience that that really could have only been delivered you know after the the years of critical role oh and yeah then coming in with this with the with the animated tv show yeah and, uh, and it being it was, in the animated style yeah exactly uh it's just yeah like you said a perfect harmonious crescendo of all of those things well, it's so, you know, it's so nice that they got, you know, they had so much creative control over it because you sometimes you lose some of those mm-hmm. moments if, you know, stuff is handed over mm-hmm. to folks that haven't gone through the thousand hours of content. But right. they, I mean, they knew they like they yeah. knew how much the audience mm-hmm. wanted. Yeah. Well, to all hear of the Grog cast the members time. are executive producers on the show. I don't yeah. know if you saw that in the credits, but all of them are they're involved yeah, like they're still in the production in... of this at a high, high level. That's why they accepted kind of the partnership with Amazon was because mm-hmm. they were going to be able to maintain this this control over it. And so they didn't, none of that was going to be lost. Like they mm-hmm. know they've been with the community this whole time, obviously. Yeah. And so they know they know that it was going to be a big moment the first time that Grog said, I would like to rage. Mm-hmm. And they 170% stepped into that. Oh, man. Like, it was so powerful. Like, I want somebody, please, if you're listening, please, 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 I beg of you, auto-tune that shiz. Put it into a sick, like, dubstep song or, like, Argent Metal song and, like, make a song out of it. I will listen to it forever. For the rest of my life. Ugh. Yeah. It's gonna be good. I've listened to that clip. I've looked up looked it up on YouTube. There's tons of clips of just that scene. It's like thirty six seconds or something. <laughs> and I've watched it like five or six times. I showed I showed my oldest kid, like, dude, look at this guy, he's going ham. <laughs> uh because of the nature of it, we know uh, some of the story beats that are going to be happening mm-hmm. um, over the over the future of this uh, TV series, and so you know I'm really looking forward to especially this arc that we're about to step into in the TV oh. show. Oh, yeah, oh, it's man. Uh, freaking Percy right there at the end. Oh my gosh! Yep. Oh my gosh! Yep. That line, yeah. that line that really gets him in trouble with the uh, the rest of the party. Your yeah. soul is forfeit. Oh, yeah, man. That's that was, again, like a live action show could not have captured that scene as beautifully as the animation did. Exactly. So I'm there's going to be a lot that I have to say as they start to get into the meat of that next arc. Mm, mm-hmm. But we're going to we're going to talk about that in the in the future. We uh, yeah, we're, we're never going to stop talking about it. So yeah. sorry if you don't want to <laughs> go listen to the other show if you don't want to hear us talk about it. Yeah, this is this is why we made this one. <laughs> so let's uh before we wrap up, let's uh let's do our little um 
I don't have noises yet for this show, so here's my here's Let's my transition. Boop boop. Homebrew corner. We're at uh, level two today, Brian. Ooh. What uh, what has what what decisions did your character make? Uh, Glick. What decisions did Glick None. make? None. Zero. Level zero two decisions. rogues get zero choices. I'll tell you exactly what they get. They get another roll of their hit die. So the hit die is each class. Yep gets a set die that is associated with uh, their hit points. So every time you level up, you roll their hit die. Rogues have a d8, which is really mediocre. It's second from the bottom, actually. So it's not a ton. Uh, I think he got three whole hit points. Nice, nice. Uh Chonky boy. Yeah, so he rolled a three... He does have a plus three constitution modifier, which does help a lot. So he's sitting at a healthy... Yeah, he's sitting at a healthy 17 hit points. Nice. I mean, for level two... It's, it's still pretty I've seen squishy. Worse, but, for sure. Yeah. I mean, he, it's, he's a rogue, It's a pretty so. squishy boy. The only other thing that rogues get at level two is cunning action, which um, it just makes rogues more mobile and harder to hit. So in combat... There are actions you can take as your, like, big main action to, like, run away faster or make yourself harder to hit. Those being dash and disengage. And hide. You can hide in battle if there's sufficient cover to hide in or behind. Mm-hmm. Disengage and dash, they, they make it so the enemy can't, like, hit you while you run away. And you can run away faster. Um, so the rogues get this feature called cunning action where they can do any of that stuff as a bonus action on top of like attacking or something. So at level two, they become really good at running in, getting a big stab with their sneak attack, which I don't know if I talked about it last last time, last episode. But sneak attack is like the rogues main damage dealing mechanic. Um, and when do they get that? Certain subclasses give you extra conditions to proc sneak attack, but essentially, if the if the enemy has any really any reason to be looking at anything else but you directly, you can you can get sneak attack. The big ones are if you can manage to get advantage on the attack through a spell effect or um, another mechanic, or if the enemy you're attacking is... You have allies right, next to you also fighting that enemy. If the like in, in active conflict with another of your allies. Those are like the two most reliable ways to get sneak attack. I've, uh, I've gotten very used to hearing my rogue players just ask like do i get advantage on this attack yeah yeah because my response is like my response is always like why (laughs) why would you have advantage because sneak (laughs) attack you you didn't have advantage last time yeah you didn't do anything different this time why (laughs) and there and then i look up and they just have these puppy eyes i'm like yeah yeah it's for sneak attack so they don't even get an extra sneak attack die at level two it's still 1d6 so oh so they get sneak attack right at level one yep yeah one oh, okay so nice. an extra d6 for every one no, i'm sorry yeah. an extra d6 once a turn so yeah and that's 
and that's the big that's the big boy that that scales with the yeah depending on which class you take that's the that's the chonker that mm-hmm. that scales with you and makes you that assassin yeah yeah and it that uh, they strive to be yeah after level two it starts scaling up and it scales quite quickly it scales quite nicely uh, as you level up <laughs> by the end of this build glick's gonna be rolling a a hefty handful of dice on his attacks yep. so yeah that's it for glick all right so, um, would you like to see what uh, what Glick is up to uh, today in today's encounter? I very much would. Glick is a sailor today. He, of course, he is. <laughs> I I think I mentioned off the show uh, with you that I my attention has shifted back to the seas. Yes, never at a least bad for the thing. time being. Yes. So, along with all the all my other world building that that I'm doing off on the side. Um, in the dark recesses of my apartment, <laughs> this this encounter made real quick. Um, it's just called a fish in a barrel. Oh, so I like um, it. Yeah, so I'll just kind of go through this real quick as it's uh, written, and then I think what I'll I think what the trend is going to be. I'm going to verbally kind of go through it, and then the uh, what ends up in the Google Doc may be a little bit more fleshed out, um, just so I'm not verbally going through every every little bit of detail um, on the show. Uh, but those that are interested and want to pull anything from the uh, from the Google Doc, you know, there'll be a little bit more content for them to kind of sift through. So uh, you guys are sailors wrapping up a resupply at a port, about to head back out to the sea. Salt in the air, seagulls kind of flying overhead. Just the, I mean, this is this is basically home away from home as far as the environment. Uh, you guys are in your mode, and uh, your captain asks kind of the group of you guys, the player characters, as you're on deck, to go down and grab the last of the barrels uh, of supply uh, from the uh, dock, get them on the ship, and then you guys are ready to go. You guys make your way down as you and the others try to lift some of the barrels and boxes. They are abnormally heavy and awkward. If uh, any of the players that choose to open up one of the barrel lids, you, um, whichever player does it, um, as the DM, you know, I would kind of focus my attention on that player. And I say, you see a finely dressed woman cramped up in a barrel of smelly, slimy fish. Whoa. <laughs> I think you, you might be muted. Whoa. And she immediately puts her finger to her mouth and asks uh, to ask for silent. And kind of in between her uh, fore and middle finger just waves a gold coin at you uh, without her hand kind of passing above the top of the barrel. Um, but just kind of showing you this gold coin. Uh, you look up and... Any other players that open up uh, their boxes and, and respective barrels, you can see they're pretty much experiencing uh, the same thing. As you see, uh, two or three stowaways have uh, snuck into your guys' supply. Uh, you hear a noise at the foot of the docks, and you look up to see a group of five soldiers making their way through the crowd, showing some folks a piece of parchment, talking to sailors, and sifting through some cargo nearby. Um, and then I ask them, uh, what would you like to do? Um, and the players are kind of... Um, confronted with this they have these people that are obviously trying to escape the guards uh, from the environment that's set up they are offering some uh, some coin to uh, to keep things uh, silent um, and you kind of see the the guards uh, approaching and then you know things can go whatever direction you always you know i always try to make the habit of leaving things open-ended depending on what the players are wanting to do uh, if the players hesitate at all i've started to make a trend of having some uh, filler um, statements ready to go so that things aren't feeling like a drag 
if the player is taking a second to try to think of something. And so if they if they're taking a couple seconds to think of what they want to do, I'll additionally say uh, you hear your carp, uh, your captain bark out. Where are those bloody deckhands with the supplies? We'll be sailing the morrow's tide at this rate. And so it puts a little bit more pressure on the player. Mm-hmm. That's a nice touch. And then basically kind of the two paths. I'm always a fan of kind of the different options. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the players uh, reveal the stowaways to the guard, uh, those hidden cry out and leap from the supplies and a small fight breaks out just right on the docks then and there. Uh, whatever these uh, stowaways have done, they don't want to get turned into the guards and they're willing to fight and uh, die for it. Uh, one of the three folks actually dives into the water. And you can kind of decide, um, depending on the situation, uh, is he trying to escape? Does he leave his fellow kind of stowaways just to fend for themselves? Does he try to like sneak around and kind of get back up somewhere else and come in from behind? Um, you can kind of decide what they does. But he actually runs away, so he dives into the water and the other two just try to fight. The guards rush over, and if any of them are still alive, they will try to capture them. Uh, one of the guards will just toss like a single gold gold coin to you, uh, so you won't get as much as you would have if you had accepted the stowaways, and they would have given each of you guys a gold coin. And then they uh, uh, they head out. And then as you're as you kind of everything settles down, you look back up, and your captain is just like leaning on the rails of the ship, just like with a crossbow in their hand, just looking lazily at the activity. And then they just kind of wave over to finish up get just getting the supplies done. Like, this is not at all an uncommon occurrence. <laughs> and then if the players go along with it, it turns into more of a, uh, maybe a little bit heavier of a story element. Um, and so they'll they'll have one deception check from the guards as they the guards do approach them before they manage to get the last of the barrels up. And so they'll have a small kind of social interaction with the guards um, if they pass that. Then the barrels get uh, loaded up. The stowaways will will kind of reveal themselves to them and get out of the barrels. And they, what did I put here? Uh, they claim that they are simple merchants who were framed weeks ago for illegal goods. And all they want to do is just get back to their business. And with that, you guys set sail. Um, all is well for a time. They keep themselves hidden. The problem is during the journey, they hid themselves in supply, in barrels of food. And they had to take food out to do that. And so the ship quickly starts to run out of food because because of that. And so now in the middle of sea, another possible encounter happens where there shouldn't be this shortage of food. What's going on? People start asking questions. If you get if you guys get found out, you're going to be in trouble. But these stowaways are only looking out for themselves. So it it becomes a bit of a heavier story element that you now have to deal with the consequences of in the middle of sea. So yeah, and then you know you just get to kind of take that in whatever directions the uh, the players decide to take it. Dang man, like again, that's the second time. Uh, yeah, that's the second time tonight where you've got me like really invested in the, like this choice. Like I, I love the choice. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Like I was going through thinking like, man, well, I mean, do I turn them in? And so like, I don't know if you do this in games where you have to make choices, but like. Oh, so I save and do both options. Yes, that well, that yeah. yes, but <laughs> like I start thinking about like the kind of the tone or overall like moral aesthetic of the game, and like mm. is authority more likely to be the good guy or the bad guy, or oh yeah, yeah, or like representative of good, helpful, or like. 
oppressive and selfish? Or are the peasant or or are like the commoners like or are they the would they be more likely to be in the right or are yeah. they probably just trying to swindle me? Well, and that's why like oh man, uh, so many mediums have done an excellent job on it, mm-hmm. but the the ones like The Witcher, Game of Thrones, uh, I was thinking of a third one, but I can't um, I can't remember it. Like where they they really lean into just the gray area. Near. It's done such a good job. Uh, yeah, uh, something like that. It's done such a good job for my own inspiration, manipulating like it's not it's not always that clear. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe you can whatever directions the players are taking you can kind of push the other direction, like you can push the other direction and keep like the tension there. And so they're thinking like, Oh, we just like, we just need to kill these guys off or we just need to like reveal them to the captain. Like we're going to get killed mm-hmm. um, by the captain if we, and then the, but then uh, the stowaways uh, hear about this and they promise like, Hey, we don't want to die. Like if you want a cut of our next, however many shipments, like we'll do that. And they start like offering them more and more, of their business mm-hmm. um, later on get going from one gold to 10 to a hundred to, you know, 500 a player, mm-hmm. you know, a, oh, an amount that, you know, to an amount that would completely change thematically change that character's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to keep him like, like, Hey, like, don't, don't do this, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we'll take care of you kind of thing. And just, and I like that, like keep, you know, keep the gray area there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, that's genius. So yeah, so I'll put that in the uh, I'll put that in the Google Docs, um, and uh, yeah, with both uh, the way that uh, we're gonna do it is I'm gonna have I'm gonna have them all up there, and I really like the idea that uh, that Google Doc is just gonna be a resource that anybody can kind of take a look into, pull whatever they'd like. Uh, with Brian's character, there's gonna be a different copy of the same character sheet for every level, and so you can um, you can go in and kind of see exactly what is changing on a per level basis. So it should make it really, uh, really simple if you're trying to kind of follow along or if you're using any of these resources that I put in the first episode to kind of get the hang of a character sheet um, and kind of go from there. So uh, that's what we got for today, guys. Next episode, um, I think we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, a month and a half uh, late. I think we're going to be talking about kind of 2022 <laughs> in relation to D&D and kind of what, you know, what's coming up. Mm-hmm. as far as book releases and, and just all things um, all things D&D, um, what the next year is going to look like. Yeah, uh, I'm excited about that one. New new stuff is always exciting, right? It's like yeah, it's like a bunch of DLC, right? It's fun and exactly. exciting and new. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Brian, what's your, what's your sign-off for this one? I haven't thought of one yet. <laughs>